Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. As I said, it's a very large chapter, uh, 68 verses. Um, we will do the entire section. Uh, so it's always good. It's always good to be able to exegete one verse. It's also good to be able to unpack a ton of verses. So this is a good exercise for me. I haven't done something like this in a while. Uh, but it's still God's word, and certainly it is a unit, blessings and curses. And certainly we will see as we move on um, from Deuteronomy into Joshua, Judges, and the history of Israel, we will see the fulfillment uh, of a lot of these curses and blessings that do come upon the people based on their covenant keeping. So uh, some things I may draw out today, some specifics, but uh, for the most part, it'll be a general overview. So we'll begin reading at verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. Now it shall come to pass, if you, dil- if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish, establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in, in its season to bless all the works of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send uh, send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do, till you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish." And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under, your, uh, under you, shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall become a troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. 
Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. You shall grope at noonday as blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes. You shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to to another people. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. There shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor. You shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed. And from the sole of, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in. The locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyard and tend to them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. You shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you, you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. They shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you, are, until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall, be, they shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls, in which you trust, come down throughout all your land. They shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined men among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates." The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children, whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege. 
in desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear, fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. You shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. In the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart, and because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female servants, uh, slaves, but no one will buy you. Amen. Well, we come to the blessings and the curses of the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, this is written for people, uh, for Israel as a body politic, Israel as a theocratic nation. Uh, specifically here, uh, God is writing to the second generation. Uh, this blessed book of Deuteronomy, uh, how they were supposed to live as the covenant people, how they were supposed to live uh, when it came to life in the land. And it is a conditional covenant. Israel had to keep the commandments and statutes and judgments that the Lord God had set uh, forth before them in the stipulation, which began around chapter four, chapter five, all the way to chapter 26. And so chapters 27 through 30 deal with what are sanctions, the blessings and the curses. Blessings for doing what is right, curses for doing what is wrong. And so last time, two weeks ago, we saw the, the covenant sign in Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27 was what would happen at the Shechemite ceremony when the people enter into the land. And when the people enter into that land, they're supposed to write the laws on the whitewashed rocks that they would never forget. And when they enter into the land, they were supposed to perform this ceremony, which they do in Joshua 8, uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, blessings and curses. So you had these two giant mountains that were signs of blessings and curses. So the people would never, ever forget. Unfortunately, the people do forget. And so in Deuteronomy 28, we come back to Moab. And he wants to drive home the point before the people enter in. Here's what you'll receive, but here's what will happen if you do not keep God's law. Here's what will happen if you violate the laws and stipulations in this covenant. I think the problem that we see in these verses, I know there's blessings, but he spends a lot of time on the curses. And the problem that we see here is how cursed sin really is. Disobedience brings so many disasters for Israel. Sin and all its wickedness and filthiness brings curse into this, uh, 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 brings curses. Certainly was the case for Israel, but even when you consider the first Adam, how Adam sinned and brought many disasters for man in this fallen, vain, wicked, inconsistent life in which we live in. The fallen Adam, he brought sin, 
And brethren, we still deal with difficulties and tribulations and trials, and we hear of atrocities in this world that we have to deal with, and we hear about them more so because of the little thing called the internet. I don't think we were supposed to know all the hardships all at once, uh, all on our phones, uh, at that uh, quick of access. So phones are a blessing, but they're also a curse uh, as well. But there's a lot of curses in this world uh, that we have to deal with. But certainly for Israel as a body politic under the old covenant uh, in Deuteronomy 28, God lays out the blessings and the curses conditioned upon Israel's obedience. He lays out the blessings and the curses conditional upon Israel's obedience. And what another difference I think there is between 27 and 28, other, other than the ceremony, uh, Deuteronomy 27 is what Israel must undertake. They say, amen. All the people said, amen, to the curse. If we don't do what is said in this law, may those curses come upon us. And we saw the reasons for the curses, namely violating God's law. Now we see what those curses are in 28. And so what are they saying? Yeah, let it all happen. If we don't do what God says, may these things all come upon us. So they will say that when they get into, um, she- uh, into Shechem, but they do say that as well uh, with, the, with the covenant renewal in 29 and 30. And so the points tonight are very simple. Blessings for obedience, verses 1 through 14. And secondly, curses for disobedience, verses 15 through 68. So you can tell point two is going to be a lot longer, but uh, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Let's first look at blessings for obedience, verse one through 14. And verse one through six, we see the reason or what they must do. We also see a general reference to blessing in verses one through six, how blessed the people will be. And notice the reason why verse one, that shall come to pass. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today. This has been a repeated refrain, a repeated command in the book. This is repeated as well in Deuteronomy 28. If you do this, if you keep the commandments, if you follow these uh, uh, laws carefully, if you do them diligently, which I command you today, the Lord your God. So even though you'll do it, the Lord your God is still the one who's going to set you high. The Lord your God is still the one who's going to give you uh, these things. And so I know the blessing portion is a lot shorter. And the reason for that is perhaps they want to drive home further the curses that would come upon them. It's very much akin to the ancient Near Eastern world and various other treaties at that time. People drove home the curses so that they understood the calamity more so than the blessings they would receive. Perhaps an apt illustration is when you deal with children. Sometimes you can't reason with children. Sometimes you certainly you can hold out. You can have a candy if you eat all your all your dinner tonight, or you better eat your dinner tonight, or this will happen to you. And usually the latter portion is much more effective than the former. Uh, uh, yeah, the former way of doing things. And Wright says, since the vassal state in ancient Near Eastern uh, 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 the world. Uh, There were the suzerains, the mighty, the stronger kingdoms, and the vassals. The vassals were subject to the stronger kingdoms. So he's referring to the vassal here, which is Israel. Since the vassal state had to be made unmistakably aware of the inevitable consequences that would follow if the treaty was broken, curses tend to dominate, which they very much do in Deuteronomy 28. So, but there are still blessings if they do what Yahweh has said. And so if they do that, 
Uh, they're going to be first among nations, set up high above all nations. Uh, and we see that there in verse 1, which is connected with chapter 26, verses 16 through 19. Uh, the people would be praised, the people would be held up, the people would be honored if the people did what Yahweh had said. Uh, one of the missions of, of Israel was meant to spread God's glory to the, to the ends of the earth. One of the missions of Adam was to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth. Both fail to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth, but there is one who succeeds, the last Adam, who spreads God's glory to the ends of the earth. And how does he spread God's glory to the ends of the earth, dear brethren? The church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus commissioned, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of every nation. So Christ is the one who brings about worldwide dominion. He's the one who brings about worldwide um, uh, proclamation and world uh, and spreads the glory of God to the ends of the earth. But Israel is supposed to do that. And so if they had done that, verse two, all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. He goes on to give uh, those blessings uh, in verses three through six. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be for the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. General blessings of safety, fertility, and food. But I think we take those things for granted. The ability to go out and come in without worrying about being shot. Although crime is rising in Canada, so maybe we need to worry about that a little bit more. But it is a protection and a blessing of God that we go about our business. I mean, I think we just go about our business sometimes forgetting that God is allowing us. And, all right, and, and in him we live and move and have our being. It's because of him we can go about our business day by day. And that was meant to be a blessing for the people. If they did what God said, they didn't need to fear. If they did what God said, there would be increase. If they did what God said, there would be food. If they did what God said, there would be safety in the land. So there's general blessings there of safety, fertility, and food given to Israel as a body politic. Should they do what Yahweh says? And then we see some of the specifics of that in verses 7 through 14. We see in verse 7, uh, defeat of enemies, what the Lord God will do. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord your God shall fight for you. The Lord your God shall be with you. And in Leviticus 26, where there are blessings and curses, uh, specifically for that first generation, God said he would fight for them and walk with them. And, and even in Deuteronomy, he says, I will fight for you. I have fought for you. I have not done it. But as they enter into the land, they must do, uh, God will fight for them if they obey what he had said for them. The Lord will, God will cause, he will do all of these things. Now we must remember Israel wasn't special because they were special. Israel was special because God made them to be so. They weren't, they weren't chosen because they were the best nation. They had the best looking people. They had the buffest, strongest guys. It was because God had chosen them. They were the least of all the nations, and God had picked them. So even though there's blessings, and they do, it is conditional, they still must recognize where the blessings come from. It comes from God. 
God still gives them the blessing. God, even with Adam, when God made the world, he could have just said, I'm the creator, you're the creature, worship me. He didn't even have to hold out blessings or curses, just said, worship me. But God, in, even in Adam, not that it's grace, like we would understand grace, but in kindness, he is the one who enters into covenant with Adam and says, here, here's all these blessed things. Here, you'll be a vice region on this, on, this, on this world. You'll have dominion over the, or at least should have dominion over the birds of the sea and the, uh, the cattle and the beast and, uh, and all those things. I'm getting the order mixed up from Psalm 8. But all those things, you would have those things. That was a kindness of God to do that. So even here, it is a conditional covenant, but Israel must recognize where their blessings still do come from. The Lord will cause. The Lord will do these things. He will protect you and fight for you. He will also give you storehouses. Give you lots of money, give you blessings in the land. It will be a good thing if you do and follow the ways of the Lord, uh, your God, Israel. And then verse 9, you will be established as the holy people, established as the chosen race. This was what was said in Exodus 19, again, to that first generation when they were coming out, which applies to all the subsequent generations. And certainly here this is reapplied for that second generation. Verse 9. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, a set apart people to himself. And throughout the book, we've seen how Israel was supposed to be what? Different than all the other nations. When you boil down the word holy, it just means to be set apart. And when they're set apart, they're set apart by being a different people from the nations around them. Namely, by walking in a way that is pleasing unto him. Just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then, verse 10, you shall have blessings. Again, there's blessings that we saw in Deuteronomy 7, verses 12 through 15, uh, but it was contingent. It was conditional. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Again, spreading the name of the Lord throughout the ends of the earth. And they shall be afraid of you and not the other way around. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give you. God made that promise to Abraham. Did he not? You'll have land and seed. The seed multiplied as numerous as the stars of the heavens in Egypt. And then God gave them the land, which they're finally about to enter into, which in Joshua, the main point is God fulfilled his covenant to Abraham. He brought them into the land. Now, Old Covenant Israel must then retain that and keep the, uh, and keep, uh, the blessings in the land by covenant keeping. Now, we know Israel fails. It paves the way for the seed of Abraham, right? As Galatians says, and who's the seed of Abraham? It's Christ. In him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's salvation was going to be worldwide. That's what the Bible functions, right? All of man is wicked, narrows down to Israel, and branches out further in Christ. I mean, there's your Bible. It's just like a big, you know, tube type of thing. That's what it is. Narrowing and opening up in the Lord Jesus Christ that all the nations shall be blessed in him, fulfilling that Abrahamic promise. But Israel is supposed to do it. God fulfilled his end, and God does not change. He fulfills the stipulation of the covenant, doesn't he? If you do what I say, you'll receive blessing. If you don't, you'll receive cursing. God just is going to fulfill uh, the stipulation of this covenant. Uh, but then in, uh, in verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure 
the heavens to give you rain. Rain was important. We hate rain, but when they're agrarian, they need rain. So uh, rain was a great sign of blessing to bless all the work of your hand. And notice you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall be the head honcho. You shall be the one with money. And the Lord will make you head and not tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. You'll have increase of land, rain from heaven, and status among the nations if you do what Yahweh has said. So I think one thing that's important to highlight here for us is that blessings do only come from God. We don't deserve any blessing we receive. Temporal and eternal. Zero. Silch. Nothing. In him, we live and move and have our being. I think that's important to understand and recognize in this fallen evil age in which we live in. Temporally, in a way at covenant, God said, you know, there'll be, uh, 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 there'll be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Uh, what does he say? And I forget, I don't know the blessing part off by heart, so I need to take a look here just for a second. He says, well, the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat. Day and night shall not cease. Uh, God gives them good things. God blesses Noah and says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Hey, food, fertility in the proper sphere, which is marriage, and protection. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man's blood he shall be shed. And I've given this to you. God gives good things. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust. God gives us life, Acts 17. God gives us food, Acts 14 and Matthew 6. God gives marriage. I understand we mess it all up because we're sinful, but God still gives us these good things. We need to recognize those are good gifts from God. But also more importantly for God's people, eternal life, eternal blessings in Christ. Blessings that last forever, that we don't deserve. I mean, Ephesians 1 is all about praising God for what? The blessings that he gives us uh, that last. First Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father, gives us redemption, resurrection. He has we have an inheritance that awaits us. It's all because of Christ. His God, who is goodness itself, delights to do good things. He delights to do good things in this world by giving, by having the rain fall upon the just and the unjust. But more importantly, he delights to save sinners in Christ. It was according to his good pleasure that he saves sinners in him, that he works all things for his uh, purpose. The one specific place that perhaps uh, is some allusion, uh, could be some allusion to blessed are the fruit of your body, uh, could be in uh, Luke chapter 1. It might be just a faint echo, but Luke chapter 1, you all know your Bibles. You know Luke 1 is about the birth of our Lord. Luke 1. After the announcement of John the Baptist, after the announcement of the birth of Jesus, when Mary visits Elizabeth, she says in verse 42, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. What's important to see there is that Israel was waiting. Israel was waiting. They were longing for the year of the Lord's favor. 
And that's Davis's title to his commentary on Luke. But in Luke 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, which talks about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus then shuts up the scroll and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so when, when, uh, when, uh, uh, um, when uh, the angels appear to, to, to Zacharias, when the angels appear, the angel appears to Mary, the people were waiting for a long period of time. They're waiting for blessedness. They're waiting for the salvation of Israel. And it came, blessed is the fruit of your womb. So perhaps there's some illusion there. And we have blessings that are abundant in him. We have to come now fount of every blessing to in my heart to sing thy grace for all the gifts that he gives. Because blessings come from him. So that's blessings for obedience. And we receive blessings because of Christ's obedience and not our own. So that's blessings for obedience. Let's then look secondly at curses for disobedience. Verses 15 through 68. The fun part, right? Everyone likes the curses. Everyone wants to know, oh, what's going on here? Uh, you won't like it as we go through. But uh, notice we'll see in verses 15 through 19 how cursed the city is. And this is just a reversal of verses 1 through 6. A lot of reversals uh, that we see in the curses. Here's the blessings and the curses. Um, verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The extensiveness of the curses is meant to drive the point home for Israel. Don't sin Israel. And if you feel filthy and frightful and fearful as you read, that's the point of what this is meant to do. It's meant to weigh us down. It's meant to do that very thing. What he's saying here is if God is not your God to Israel, then you will not be his people. And protection, family, and food will be cursed. You shall not have it. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall be your basket. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body. Cursed shall you be when you come in and the cursed shall you be when you go out. No protection, no food, no fertility. He's going to unpack what that means uh, as uh, unpack further the, some specifics in the, in the rest of the book. So, I mean, I didn't know how to classify these. And I don't know necessarily that it all fits perfectly, but uh, we'll do our best as we go through. But uh, verses 20 through 24, death-filled curses. Notice, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do. Everything that you set your hand to do. Your life, your protection, and your family, everything, your livelihood, everything, until you are destroyed or until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. And again, it will be Israel's fault. They went after other gods. And the irony is they went after other gods. Why? So they might receive blessings. They might receive rain. That They might receive uh, certain things. Yet it was in God who said, I would do these things for you. Yet they went after other idols made of wood, made of stone, and they were judged for that very thing. They forsook the Lord their God. So there's going to be the speed of death that shall come. Then verse 21, we see disease for you and disease for your plants. They will make the plague cling to you until he's consumed you from the land which you're going to possess. He will strike you with consumption, which could be like tuberculosis with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, 
Now, uh, with the sword, scorching, and mildew probably refers to plants. You're going to be diseased, and your plants are going to be diseased. And the idea of scorching, there could be the idea of lopping off, uh, or could be, I carry the idea of drought. The word is a little uh, murky. It could go either way. So that's probably what sword means. But drought, scorching, and mildew. Mold. Mold is a sign of the curse. Mold is a sign of a fallen world. That's why when you, uh, so when you go and grab your cheese and you have mold on it, it's a sign of the curse in this world. Not quite like this. But there's still curses in this world, dear brethren, in a fallen world. This world is not our home. We long for something greater when there's no more decay or sadness or disease or scorching or severe burning or all these wicked, awful, terrible things. They shall pursue you until you perish. You hear that? They shall pursue you all the days of your life. Now, thankfully, if we're in God, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. But if one is not in God, these things shall pursue you all the days of your life, and they shall surely perish. So you're going to die quickly. Here's how you're going to die. And then also, you're going to have a dusty world in which you live in. This is, you know, good for us right now, all the dust we see in the world. We haven't had rain in forever. But verse 23, I don't, I'm not saying it's a curse, by the way. A lot of people like to, you know, try and be like, well, this must be happening. God must be cursing our land. I don't know. We shouldn't do that. Do not do that, by the way. Israel was a theocratic nation. Okay. We are not a theocratic nation. God might judge. He possibly could judge. But why does he judge one nation, not the other? You ever ask ourselves that question? Why is he judging this part, not that part? Everyone likes to make these quick, sweeping statements based on some sin. Don't do that. You're not God. I'm not God. Let's not do that. We live just recognize we live in a sin-cursed world. There's sadness and sorrow. Sometimes God gives us good things, and we cannot find out the beginning from the end. Just confess that. That's just what we ought to confess. So, um, but... For Israel, who really needed the rain, your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be like iron. It's hard to dig. Try digging in a dry, arid land. Verse 24, the Lord shall change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Rather than rain, you shall have dust. So a very death-filled life. In verses 25 to 35, you'll be defeated by your enemies. This is a reversal of what is said in verse, uh, verse 7. You're going to defeat your enemies. The reverse happens here. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You shall go out one way against them, and you shall flee then seven uh, ways. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. And then notice some of the byproducts of the siege, the byproducts of war. War is awful. War is terrible, war is messy, and there's a lot of casualties when it comes to war. And this is some, you know, difficult stuff. 26, your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. It'll be so hard to look at, no one's going to come and scare the birds away, you're just going to be eaten. That's kind of menacing, isn't it? When you think that way, dead bodies shall be for food. Not only that, perhaps there's going to be tumors that strike. There's going to be disease that strikes. That does happen in war. And perhaps this is a precursor to what he's going to say later on, is that the problems you saw in Israel that I struck, or sorry, that I struck Egypt with, I'm going to strike you with. Again, reversal. Reversals of what God has done is key 
uh, for these curses. So he says, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch, from which you cannot be healed. Skin diseases. And perhaps, verse 28, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. Uh, one writer highlights there could be a connection between verse 27 and 28, uh, that perhaps some of those diseases are sexually transmitted. That some of those diseases are perhaps uh, the one, uh, syphilis uh, 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 being one of them, uh, where you know madness does begin to occur, at least according to these commentators. I'm not a doctor, it's just what he said. But the point is that the people were not keeping the sexual, uh, the, the uh, yeah, seventh commandment laws. It was a free-for-all. It was a, everyone was doing whatever they wanted, perhaps could be implied there. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. That's harsh, isn't it? <laughs> It'll be in the middle of the day when it's bright out. You can't see a thing. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. No one shall save you. No one shall save you. No one shall save you. And we like to watch certain shows and people get saved in the end. Most of the time that probably doesn't happen, does it? It's not hard to think about. No one shall save you. And this continues in verses 30 through 35. And perhaps this is a reversal of Deuteronomy 20. If God would fight for them, there were certain men uh, when it came to battle who would go out to battle. Uh, well, it shouldn't be people who have recently been married, a man who's built a vineyard, and a man who's built a home. He shall stay, right? This is a reversal of that. Everybody is needed if God is not fighting for them. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Highlights the reversal of that. Your ox shall be slaughtered. You shall not eat. Your donkey taken away. Your sons and daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look on, fail with longing for them all day long. There shall be no strength in your hand. A nation, seeing some precursors of exile, a nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. You planted it, they're going to eat it. You tell you built the home, they're going to dwell in it. You brought that you have a you're betrothed to a wife, another man will take her. There's something so very unfair about that, isn't there? Something so very un or I don't know, I the words escape me at this point, but the severity of what would happen is driven home in verse 34. You shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. You'd rather be blind at that point and see all the atrocities that are occurring. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Notice the Lord will do all these things. We don't like that, do we? <laughs> we don't like those, that aspect. We're all good with the blessings, but we don't like this aspect. But remember, the God is the God who keeps his covenant, and that was part of the stipulations. Uh, if they do it, or if they do or do not do what he said. And then verses 36 through 46, exile, harvest, status, loss. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation. 
which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. Uh, this is a perhaps a pro the prophecy of it will come in Deuteronomy 29. I'm sorry, dot 30, Deuteronomy 30, the prophecy of exile, the people being kicked out of their home, being kicked out of their land shall come. Then remember, this is could be or could not be at this point, but we know in Israel's history they do fulfill. Uh, they do not do what is said, and that's exactly what happens. What's interesting, he says, you and the king. You and the king. Remember in Deuteronomy 17, the king was supposed to be the one who keeps the law and meditates on it day and night. And when you come to the book of Kings, what did Israel typically do? Whatever the king did. If the king did what was right, the people did what was right. If the king did what was wrong, the people did what was wrong. Remember, too, the people wanted a king in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Well, you and your king shall be driven into a far off land. We see this fulfilled in 2 Kings 17. And 2 Kings 24 and 25. One thing that's interesting, notice how judgment is being given over to your sin. You shall serve other gods. You served other gods in this land, you're going to be serving other gods in the other land. And what's interesting is in Romans chapter 1, which is very New Testament for us, is God's or Paul describing the universal sinfulness of mankind. What does he say? God gave them over. Sometimes we think judgment is a giant catastrophe that happens, a giant calamity, and maybe, but sometimes judgment is giving one over to their sin. And a telltale sign, hopefully it's a good uh, eye-opener for the people of God, is when sins progress where we stop worrying about what other people think and they become more public. That is something that one ought to be very fearful of as sins escalate. In that way, sometimes a sign of judgment is God giving people over to their sins, which we see here. And then verse 37, you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all nations, where the Lord will drive you. Basically, there's nothing good that ever happens in Israel. People, people have, there's a saying that would go with that people. No, they don't want to be like Israel than those people. And then verse 38, you shall be diligent, but nothing shall come. Boy, that's rough. You shall bear it, carry much seed out to the field, but gather little. The locust shall consume it. You shall plant a vineyard, and you shall not drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat it. You shall have olive trees. All these things that talk about the blessings of the land, you shall do this, and it shall uh, not happen. You shall not have it. You shall, you shall not anoint yourself with the oil. And you shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. They shall go into captivity. The locust shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. Be diligent and bear nothing. And then status change. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. That's the status change. Israel, who were the free men, were then going to be under the alien in the land. So that's exile, harvest, and status loss. Oh, sorry, verse 45 and 46. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you, overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They shall be uh, upon you for a sign and wonder and on all your descendants forever. Normally you'd be like, yay, he's ending, right? It's like the preacher who's about to end that spends another 15 minutes uh, preaching. You know, the preachers, like me sometimes, unfortunately. Uh, but 
This is for a rhetorical purpose. You think it's over, and then he hits them again with more. <laughs> Verse 47, and highlights here specifically the horrors of the siege. This certainly has the, the exile in view, and certainly the all the calamity and catastrophe that leads up to exile in verses 47 through 57. Because, again, the reason you did not serve the Lord your God, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. He'll put a yoke of iron on your neck. That is, you'll be servants rather than free till he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth. He shall be quick. He shall be strong. And uh, we see this fulfillment in Israel's history. Does anybody remember the dates when it comes to the exiles that happened? I say it a million times, so you should all know it. 722 BC, Assyria takes the north. 586 BC, Babylon takes the south of the divided kingdom. So 722, 586 is when that happens. And the reason is they did not serve the Lord their God. And notice, a nation whose language you will not understand. Charismatics aren't gonna like what I'm about to say with this one. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he talks about tongues, you know that when someone doesn't understand something, it's a sign of judgment. He explicitly quotes Isaiah 28, but I also think Deuteronomy 28 is in the background there as well. One of the reasons he does, he wants to make sure there's an interpreter at that time when tongues were being used, is that people would be edified. Otherwise, it's like going to another nation. Otherwise, it's like a baby going goo goo gaga. You have no idea what they're saying. And if you don't understand what someone is saying, there is no benefit. There is no edification that is involved here. And I do very much think, as I said, that tongues is a sign of judgment. And you see this, too, as in, in the, the history of Israel, uh, certainly with the exile but, I, exile, but I also mean in the book of Acts. I mean, tongues coming down, yes, it's the outpouring, according to Joel chapter 2, but it's also a rejection of Israel. It's, a, it's Babylon reversed in a lot of ways. It is, wow, they understand uh, what's being said before they didn't, now they do. So if someone does not understand something, it is a sign of judgment. And if someone jabbers on in jabberish or gibberish or whatever, and nobody understands that, that is not a good thing. We must. That's why we need to praise God for the vernacular that we have. In the languages for which we've been raised, we need to praise God that we have those. So that's just an aside. Uh, but they're going to be a strong and mighty nation, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. I mean, even like typically, hopefully, you know, even sometimes pagans can recognize you respect the elderly and treat the young well, but these, this nation will not. They shall increase the, uh, eat the increase of your livestock, produce, etc. Uh, they shall eat of the good of your land. And then verse 52, we see the besieging that happens. And kind of the sad part is, yeah, it's terrible what's happening to their city. But what's worse is what happens inside the city. So they shall take your walls, verse 52. I won't read that in full. But then verses 53 through 57, we see the horrors of the siege, namely cannibalism. Verse 53, you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. 
Sin begets sin here. Uh, your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. You know, we all like to think in a time of war that we all band together and everything's going to be great. It's not always the case, is it? Most of the time, it's every man for themselves, even within families. And so it goes on to say the sense, and, and he goes on to express how bad it is by talking about the sensitive man and the delicate woman. The sensitive man and very refined man doesn't necessarily mean a dainty dude uh, among you will be hostile toward his brother. Typically someone who is more docile, typically someone who is nice, typically someone who is kind, he won't be here. You want to know why? He's hungry. Look at the language. He says, um, you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has not, nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. Women are going to eat their own children, and this kind man won't share his meat with his children. When I say meat, you know what kind of meat I'm referring to. I mean, can you imagine it being such a bad situation? And it goes on to say further, with the lady, the tender and delicate women whom you would not venture to set the, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter. Her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children, whom she bears, she will eat them secretly. Brethren, this happens. There's the evidence of this that happens in the uh, with the temple destruction, AD chapter 70. This very, this very type of thing. This lady eating her child in secret. Because people are so hungry. People are in such dire straits because of the wickedness uh, they engaged in and the curses that come upon them. We live in a sin, curse-filled world, desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. And this is very, this is in Lamentations. Two and Lamentations four. Lamentations, man, that would be a good book to do. We have to do Jeremiah first, and that's a huge book. So I won't do Lamentations after Ecclesiastes, but that would have been a fun one to do. Uh, but terrible, just talk about the destruction of the temple in eight in five eighty six BC and all the horrors that go on there. But horrors of the siege is not going to be good. And then verses fifty eight through 68 so we are coming to the end here I may, I may get done in time today we see the summary in verses 58 through 68 is just god's covenant reversed or egypt reversed you could say if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book he's going to repeat this book twice moving towards the covenant ratification in 29 these words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in this land, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. 29.1 is perhaps a transition. And so 20, uh, 28.58, these are the words you must do. Fear the Lord, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. How do you do that? By doing what he has said. But if you do not, then the Lord will bring upon you, your descendants, extraordinary plagues, Great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses, which is what happened in Egypt. You can't miss the irony here. Moreover, he will bring back on you, verse 60, all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid. 
they shall cling to you. And also every sickness and every plague, would, uh, um, uh, every plague uh, which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number. This is a reversal of Abraham. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply. So the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. You shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Now, it's not as though the Lord is smiling. Uh, so the Lord actually smiles, but not though he's smiling when he's doing this, it just highlights he is the one who keeps covenant according to what the stipulations of the covenant are. But it's a reversal in a lot of ways. The blessings of Abraham become curse. There's a redemption in Egypt becomes uh, is reversed as well. And then verse 64, Egypt, or sorry, exile continues. Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither nor your fathers have known wood and stone. And there shall be much anxiety and distress. You shall, uh, among those nations, you shall find no rest, no resting place, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Every day you shall fear. And day and night, no assurance of life. We don't know what the day will hold. In the morning, you shall say, oh, that were evening. In the evening, you shall say, oh, that were morning. Because the fear which terrifies your heart is the sight which your eyes see. That's a bit of a reversal in a lot of ways, too. The fact the other nations would fear them. They shall fear other nations. Then verse 68. They go back to Egypt. But they willingly, perhaps, this image to highlight they're willing to be slaves again. The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way, which I said to you, you shall never see it again. There you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will buy you. You are once slaves, but now no one will even buy you as a slave. The lowest of the low. And perhaps the image there of ships, Egypt in ships, could be an idea that, like the slave trade, they used ships. Or it could be an ease is what the word can mean. And perhaps the image or what is being conveyed here is that Israel willingly becomes slaves again. In this case, no one will take them because uh, no one will buy you. Curse that comes upon them. Now, when you read Israel's history and all the atrocities that they do, the covenant-keeping God is very gracious with them, isn't he? Very, very long suffering. I mean, 586 until Jerusalem is destroyed. I mean, then he brings them back and then they still do wickedness. So he destroys them in 8070 after the Messiah has come. But God is very patient with Israel as you read it. With all the atrocities, with all those kings that do terrible and wicked things. Now, the height of Israel's power was under Solomon. He still had his problems, didn't he? But the height of the power of Israel or the expansion of the empire was under Solomon. And through his wickedness, God said, I will rend the kingdom, not in your lifetime, but in your sons. Rehoboam and Jeroboam divided the kingdom in first Kings. Jeroboam takes the north, but Rehoboam takes the south and uh, lead to that divided kingdom. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel always has bad kings. And Judah always has some good kings, but mostly bad kings kings but even then god still always had a remnant didn't he 
Even in Israel, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's what God says, or Obadiah says to Elijah, when Elijah flees, flees from Jezebel, there are 7,000 who still have not bowed the knee. So that's an encouragement. There is still a remnant, a true people, a true people who believe, who go through exile, who go through all the sorrow and sadness that is found in Israel. But God keeps a remnant, true believers, uh, even under the old covenant Israel. Now, I just want to close by talking about blessings through a curse. Now, one way in which God redeems his sinners, redeems sinners, is by doing away with the old covenant. The purpose of this was to make you feel heavy. That's the purpose of it, that we might find forgiveness and redemption in Christ. And even as well that we see and appreciate we're no longer under the old, but we're under the new covenant. And that the old really has passed away. That's why I appreciate the Olivet Discourse more so, especially after we've gone through it. I do think in Mark chapter 13, he's talking about the destruction of the temple at AD 70. The abomination of desolation is very much rooted in Leviticus 26 and very much rooted in Deuteronomy 28. The abomination that leads to desolation. Now, it's true when you see the abomination that leads to desolation, that is typically Rome surrounding and coming into the temple. That is an abomination of desolation. But in Mark's context, remember, it's in the center of the last act of Mark. And Mark has two big uh, discourses, the parables in Mark 4 and the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13. That's to give us insider information about what's going on. Why is it that the people are rejected, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawkeepers are rejecting him in 11 through 12 and 12? Why is it he's going to go die? Why is it that he's going to, uh, that he's going to go to the cross? Why is it? It's because he's doing away with the old and bringing in the new. And remember, it's the context when the disciples, Jesus says, I'm going to destroy that temple. And I was like, what? And destroy the temple? And then he goes on to unpack what that means. And he's trying to highlight that I'm uh, taking out the old and bringing in the new in me. And the key, I know every eschatological person says they have the key to the Bible. But in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is on trial, one of the false witnesses said, we heard him say, he would destroy the temple made with hands and rebuild, uh, rebuild it in three days, the temple made without hands. That is, he's the temple. He is the true temple. And, he may, and then in him, we have access to God. We no longer need the old because he brings in the new. And it's, a, it's important to highlight God will always remember his people, even in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Even as he uh, brings out the old and brings in the new, he still redeems sinners, uh, redeemed uh, Jews out of Israel into the new Israel in him. So he redeems by doing away with the old. So I think there is some connection with Deuteronomy 28 and all of that. AD 70 is a type of the final judgment as well. Uh, in this, uh, 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 certainly Deuteronomy 28 does point towards that as well. Now also in the sin-cursed world, we must recognize that the sins that we do are our fault. It's not God's fault. We must just confess that. It's what we do. It's not our fault. The sad thing is tribulation still remains. Sorrow still remains. That's, you know, it's a present evil age is what is characterized uh, way that our, uh, the um, 
the age in which we live in is characterized. And perhaps there is some allusion to the, 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 the plagues in Revelation 16. Now, I don't really get Revelation. Everybody says they get Revelation, they're lying. Even when I joke and say I get Revelation, I don't really get all of it. But um, Revelation 16, how, what, how I view the trumpets, the seals, and the bowls is it's the same event, just from different angles. I don't get everything about Revelation 16 too, but if you read in Revelation 16 too, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and a loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Perhaps what he's trying to highlight here, even though someone worships the beast, they cannot flee the judgment to come. Judgment is still going to happen to them. And whether and if they were, they might think they're fleeing it by worshiping the beast and his image. In reality, that is not so. These curses shall come upon them. That is why someone who does not believe in Christ, they shall be cursed forever. Someone who does not believe in the Lord shall be cursed forever because of their sin that they have committed in this world. That's why we need to proclaim the law. That's why we need to proclaim the law that we might then show people and preach to people the gospel. Here's the heaviness of the law. Here's how you don't keep the law. Here's all the curses that would happen, you know, under old covenant Israel, if you live there, that they might see the need for Christ. Henry says the accomplishment of these predictions upon the Jewish nation shows that Moses spoke by the spirit of God, who certainly foresees the ruin of sinners and gives them warning of it. We have to warn people about judgment. We have to warn people about the law or teach people about the law. We have to warn people about these things that they may prevent it by, tr by a time, true and timely repentance or else be left inexcusable. Those who might show people their sin, show people uh, the requirements before God, weigh them down with it, they might find mercy in Christ. Christ who lived the law perfectly. Christ who became a curse for us. Dear brethren, isn't that the language of Galatians 3, which is found in, you know, uh, it's, it's alluded back to Deuteronomy, I think, chapter 21 and uh, yeah, 21 and certainly Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Curses the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. We cannot keep the law. Christ does. And Christ becomes the curse for his people. Now, curses certainly are heavy for us all. Let us never forget that the first gospel proclamation comes during a curse in Genesis 3. In fact, Davis titles a sermon on Genesis 3.15, Joy to the World, the Curse is Declared. Because in Genesis 3, verses 14 through, well, in the cursing, in the curse section, he curses the serpent, he curses the woman, and he curses Adam for what? Sin that comes into this world. It's in the curse uh, proclaimed to the serpent. He says in 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is the first gospel proclamation pointing the coming Christ to crush the head of the seed of the serpent and bring salvation for his people, for his seed, by becoming a curse for them. And brethren, because he became a curse for us, 
we have blessings forevermore in Christ through faith.